know well the first and greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus followed that up with a commandment that honestly is a little bit harder. And that is to love our neighbor as ourself. And that love that we're to have, of course, the vertical love with God, but the horizontal love that is to be given to mankind is particularized and made especially pronounced and important to those men and women, boys and girls that are sitting around you. Today we're going to begin a walk, continuing in 1 Peter, but then over the next couple of weeks, moving out of 1 Peter and then coming back later in the month of March as we think about what does it really mean to love my church and the people of my church but I want you to hear this beloved I'm not writing to you a new commandment but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning the old commandment is the word that you've heard at the same time it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining whoever says that he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling we often say I love you I love you man but what does that really mean? What does that really mean? And we're going to begin to dive in and think about that. Let's go to Jesus. Father, we come in the name of Jesus this morning and we ask that you would meet with us here, Father. Um, so much of how we operate and think of as a church is a little bit culture and a little bit biblical. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts and in our minds over the next few weeks, Lord, to begin to grasp the fullness of what it means to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for your word that does not lead us to guess, but makes it very clear, abundantly clear. And Father, we pray that we would see your word as not just authoritative, but sufficient. That if we would just do what it says do, this love amongst us would be outstanding marvelous love you've given us outstanding marvelous love father and we want to extend that to the people around us i want to pray for the one this morning here who has never turned from sin and trust to christ they've not yet experienced the love of god that vertical love and i pray today that the holy spirit would convict them of their sin would call them to christ and they would gladly say yes and run to Christ and be saved. Father, meet with us here today. We pray, send your spirit that we might preach well, listen well, and live well. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. And all God's people said, well, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat there. Now, when you think of some of the greatest generals in the history of the world, who comes to mind? If you're an American, of course, as Americans, <laughs> we probably think about General George Washington or we might think of General Ulysses S. Grant or down here in the south we might think of General Robert E. Lee 
Now, outside of America, one might list the Prussian general, Frederick the Great. I wonder if he called himself that. Or the British general, Arthur Wellesley, the Duke of Wellington. Going way back into history, some might list Genghis Khan or Alexander the Great. I think other people called him that. Hannibal, Barca, or maybe Julius Caesar. But above all these men, one name far outshines them all, and that is General Napoleon Bonaparte. And guess what? Math proves it. Statistician Ethan Arsht, he put together a way to quantify the success of generals in history, and, and Napoleon won the contest by a large margin. In fact, the next highest performer, Julius Caesar, had less than half of Napoleon's score. Now in the computation, Napoleon, he benefited from a large number of battles in which he led forces. I mean, Napoleon loved to fight. He loved to conquer. He wanted to expand the French Empire. And so he had 43 listed battles. 38 of them he won. Five of them he lost. In several of those battles, he overcome odds in 17 of those victories, difficult odds in 17 victories, and he commanded at a disadvantage in every loss that he had. No other general came close to the total of battles that Napoleon had. The next most prolific general was, was General Robert E. Lee. 27 battles. So statistically speaking, Napoleon, the emperor and commander of France, is, at least from this argument, the greatest military leader of all time. But by, while one might argue whether he was or one was not, Napoleon himself, he actually argued that there was one even greater than himself. Here's what he wrote. Check this out. He said, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? upon force Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love and at this hour millions of men would die for him now that's an interesting quote the greatest reminds us here that there's one greater because his empire his empire is not like other empires his empire is founded upon love have you ever thought about the fact that you and I are in an empire of love? What a fitting thought today as we turn here to 1 Peter where a command to love is the thrust of the text. And look, you know, that's one of the reasons I love expositional preaching because I don't get to just sort of pick and choose where I'm going and sometimes the calendar just lines up, right? I mean, Valentine's Day coming up, a message about love, that is all God. I didn't plan that, all right? That is all God. God parked us right here to think about love in this moment. I want you to listen closely to what the Holy Spirit says to us through Apostle Peter here. Beginning in the 22nd verse of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the 
flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Beloved, this is God's good word to us this morning. This is God's good word. And today's takeaway is just really, really simple. I need God to keep it simple. (laughs) Here's today's takeaway. It's simply this. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Now, some of you in the room, you might be quick to say when you hear that takeaway, preacher, I thought we were supposed to love everybody. And indeed we are. We are supposed to love everybody. But our text is calling us specifically today to especially love our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, you and I, we're supposed to love everybody, but you especially love your husband or your wife. You're supposed to love everybody, but you especially love your children. You're supposed to love everybody, but you are especially loving. You especially love your parents. Well, today, as we focus in on the church, we're supposed to love everybody, but we are especially to love our Christian brothers and sisters. And there is a quality and a quantity of love that should exist among us that is special, that is different from the typical love. But what is love? That's one of those words and one of those ideas that our culture right now is a little bit confused on. Maybe our church even is a little bit confused on because the world will tell us that love is a feeling or that love is affirming whatever makes somebody happy now we went past affirming now we're love is by cultural definition celebrating whatever makes somebody happy but i'll be honest with you i'm not interested in the world's definition because the world is going to hell and i'd rather not follow it I want what God has to say. I want what God's word defines as love. And here is what I believe that is. The definition you have on the screen there, I came up with this definition like like 12 years ago. And it is my best attempt at defining love biblically. And I want you to think about it here this morning. Here's how I would define love based upon scripture. Love is is strong affection for another person to the point of being equal to the affection you have for yourself and to the point you're willing to sacrifice for that person. All of which is rooted in truth and God's affection for you. I want to say that again because I know it's a mouthful. If you're taking notes, I strongly encourage you to write it down. Love is strong affection for another person to the point of being equal to the affection you have for yourself and to the point that you're willing to sacrifice for that person, all of which is rooted in truth and God's affection for you. And I pray that as you hear that definition, like like you heard some echoes of Scripture in that. I pray that as you heard that, you, you heard ringing 
Jesus' words when he said in Matthew 22, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is strong affection for another person to the point of being equal to the affection you have for yourself. And you should also hear in that definition ringing Jesus' words when he also said, greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So love is strong affection for another person to the point that you're willing to sacrifice for that person. You should also hear in there Apostle Paul's words ringing when he said that love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in what? With the truth. Love is rooted in truth. And you should also hear Apostle John's words where he says that we love because God first loved us us and so our love for one another is rooted in God's love for us not just exemplary in that regard yes it's an it's an example for us but also the fact that his love overflows into love for other people right he he's supplying not just exemplifying love in our lives so again my, my best biblical definition you may define it differently but I want you to notice here that love is strong affection, but it's not just strong affection. You see, in that definition, it's also action. Love is action, amen? It is action. Love is affection that leads to self-sacrifice. But here's the really interesting thing I want you to consider this morning, because... Sometimes it's the other way around. Let me say that again. Love is affection that leads to self-sacrifice, but sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes action leads to affection. Love is self-sacrifice that leads to affection. How many of you guys have found that to be true? Listen, this is why so many marriages fail because they don't grasp this they run out of emotion I don't love you anymore I'm no longer in love with you I don't feel love for you and what people miss is that sometimes we have to do loving things in order to feel the emotion of love. Self-sacrifice often leads to affection. So whichever way we experience this causal relationship here at the moment, whether our affection leads to self-sacrifice or our self-sacrifice leads to affection, either way, love is both affection and action. Love is strong affection for another person to the point of being equal to the affection you have for yourself and to the point that you're willing to sacrifice for that person. All of which is rooted in truth and God's affection for you. And this is what you and I are supposed to have for all 
people, but especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And especially for those brothers and sisters in Christ that call Collinsville First Baptist their church home. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. That's the thrust and the crux of our text. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just stop with the simple command. The Holy Spirit, through Apostle Peter here, he gives us two whys and five hows. So let's turn to the whys first. Why? Why should we do that? And then before I jump into the whys that are given in our text, I want to point out a why that's not listed here. Here's what you won't find here. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Why? Because I said so. Now, hey, as a parent, I love that. I love to just be able to say, because I said so. Clean your room. Why? Because I said so. Eat your vegetables. Why? Because I said so. Go to bed. Why? Because I said so. Now, as a parent, that can be a really satisfying answer. Oh, it feels good. But if we're honest as a child, that's not so satisfying. <laughs> as a parent, listen, parents, it's often good to extend grace. You don't have to give them a reason. You are well within your rights as a parent to not give reasons, but it's often good to extend grace to your child to actually explain why. And God, y'all, is a good father. He extends to us here in this text grace by giving us two whys for the command. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. And the first why is as fruit of being born again. Love your Christian brothers and sisters because that is fruit of being born again. Look at the end of verse 22 and going into verse 23 here in 1 Peter 1. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. You see, love is what springs forth from the new birth. That's why here Peter brings in the idea of a seed. You see that there in the text? The idea of a seed. You have been born again through imperishable seed. Not perishable seed, but imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. Now, you and I at first glance, when we read that, that this seed is the abiding Word of God, we, we, we may be quick to, to think that he's talking about the Bible. But Peter tells us at the end of verse 25 what exactly he's referring to. Look at verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the abiding word of God is the good news that was preached to you. And so the seed then is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when that seed is taken into the human heart, which is the moment of the new birth, right? it's, 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 it's simultaneous, coterminous with, with being saved and receiving. You receive and you're saved, same time. When it's taken into your heart, guess what fruit begins to grow out of that? Love. Now, we can list other fruit, 
But certainly love is one of those fruit that just begins to come out because it's part of the seed that was put in the ground. Just like when you put apple seeds in the ground, what kind of fruit is going to come out of that? Apples. And when I put acorns in the ground, what kind of fruit is going to come out of that? Again, acorns. And in the same way, y'all, when God puts the gospel of Jesus Christ in our heart, the fruit of love, is going to come out. Love is the fruit of being born again. Now look, we could, we could read almost of all of the epistle of 1 John. 1 John hammers this home. By the way, that, that's what I was reading from a moment ago when I first walked up on the platform there and the praise team was still up here. I was in John chapter 2, I think. 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. But in, in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 7, the idea that love is the fruit of being born again is just made abundantly clear. Here's what the Holy Spirit says through Apostle John. Beloved, let us one uh, love one another, for love is from God. And then listen to this. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So we are born again, and then love begins to grow out of us, and this should be especially true for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, there are, are all sorts of metaphors that God uses to describe the church, but one of those that's most prevalent is that we are a family, the family of God. We are born again and adopted into God's family for instance it says in ephesians 1 5 it says that the father predestined us for adoption to himself as sons from jesus christ according to the purpose of his will there we are the idea that we are sons he's the father we're sons christ our brother you're my sister i'm your brother you're my brother i'm your brother <laughs> romans 8 14 has the same context the same ideology behind it for all who are led by the spirit of god are listen sons of god for you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him and so god has made us into a spiritual family now that, is, that doesn't downplay your biological family your physical family but think about this when jesus's physical family came to visit him and he was in the middle of teaching and 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 mary and james and and some of the other siblings were out there making a ruckus we need to see jesus get us jesus and they walked in and they said, hey, Jesus, your mama's outside and your brother's outside. He didn't say, oh, I got to go see him. He turned and looked at the people that he was teaching. And he said, who is my mother and who is my brother? And he pointed to those folks and said, you are my mother, you are my brothers. In other words, we are a family of God and as the father has 
loved us. We're to love one another. That's what brothers and sisters do. We love one another as a family. In fact, that's just not what we're shown by the Father, but it's what He's commanded us to do, which brings us to our second reason why this morning. Love your Christian brothers and sisters as an outworking of holy obedience. As an outworking of holy obedience. Now remember last Sunday, we spent a long time, man, long time talking about holiness in 1 Peter 1, 13 through uh, 21. And our takeaway last week was simply be obedient children unto holiness no matter the circumstances. And we were given all kinds of reasons as to why we should do that. But here we come into 1 Peter 1, and we see that one of the results, not the reasons, but the results of being holy is loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You see the word purified there? You see the word obedience? You see the the word there, pure heart? All that's pointing to the fact that a purified soul loves the brethren. He who is holy, she who is holy, loves the brethren. It's holy because it conforms to the standard that God has called us to be and to do. Now remember last week we read this in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 1 here in 1 Peter. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So he's aiming at conduct. Holiness is a conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So beloved, God is holy. And we read in 1 John 4, 8, it says, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. God is love. You see, because God is holy, He is love. Because God is holy, God is love. And if you and I are going to be holy, then we we have to love. Love is an outworking of holy obedience. In fact, Jesus explicitly commands us to love. We could go to a lot of places in Scripture, but John 13, 34, and 35 is really, really explicit. Really, really straightforward. Now, I, I, I like it when, 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 when I get really straightforward, explicit commandments. And here's what it is. Jesus says to His disciples and to His churches to come and to us, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you you also are to love one another by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another I I read a story about a man who was getting ready for a business trip and on the day he was supposed to leave he he realized and it kind of freaked him out because he's like oh my goodness I can't believe I forgot this but He forgot that he had not gotten his suit dry cleaned. 
And so he needed a, a, a same-day dry cleaning. He needed to get it that day. And he remembered seeing a store with a huge sign on the other side of town that said, One Hour Dry Cleaners. And he's like, that, that's where i got to go. And so he jumped in his car, drove all the way over to the other side of town to drop off his suit. And, and after filling out the tag, he told the clerk, Man, I'm so glad that y'all are here. Listen, I, I need this in an hour. And she said, I, I can't get this back to you in an hour. I, I can't get this back to you until next Thursday. And the man was confused. He said, I thought you did dry cleaning in an hour. And she replied, that's just the name of the store. <laughs> he's like, oh gosh, no. But beloved, that's what you and I are like. When we bear the name of Christ but don't love, it's a false advertisement. It's not just a sign that we hang on the door of our life. Love is to be our reality. It's an outworking of holy obedience. And that's why we love our Christian brothers and sisters along with being the fruit of being born again. So those are the two whys. Let's turn our attention to the five hows here. How are we to love our Christian brothers and sisters? And as we look down through the house here, the first idea that we come across to describe our love for one another is sincerely. We're to love one another sincerely. Now, your translation most likely has that word there in verse 22. That's pretty standard across translations, except for the King James, which translates it as unfeigned. That's a great word as well. The Greek word here captures the idea of being genuine, being without hypocrisy. It's not faked. You ever run across somebody at church that faked loving you? Oh, hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, it's so good to see you. And you know good and well, they don't mean it. <laughs> you know they're faking, you know they're fainting, you know they put on their church mask and they're playing the church part. We're to love one another. And mean it. It's love not just from our lips alone, but from our hearts. A pure heart loves sincerely. So I want to challenge you this morning. You've you got to take stock of your love here. Uh, you may say this morning, look, I, I'll be honest, I go here, but I don't really love anybody here. I go here, but... I don't really feel loved by anyone here. Or you may say, I, I love people, but I don't know if I would use the word sincerely. Do you sincerely love your brothers and sisters in Christ at this church? The second idea we come across to describe our love for one another is fervently. Fervently. That's captured in the word earnestly. That's at the end of verse 22. Fervent love, earnest love, is love with some intensity. It's not just a little. It's a, it's a lot. It's not lukewarm. It's, it's hot. I'm a poet and didn't even know it. I didn't even mean to rhyme that, but it did. Man, that'll preach. I'm telling you why. <laughs> Somebody write that down. Brothers and sisters, look, look. There should be fervency to our love here. Seriously, that, 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 that's why... That's why it should be hard for us to just walk away from this church. Y'all, look, I, I've been doing this vocationally for 22 years this year. 
and it has blown my mind, blown my mind and broken my heart to see people that just walk away from their church like it was no big deal. Sometimes it's for petty things. Sometimes it's for big things. But nine times out of ten, it's for petty things. And what that tells me is that there was real no fervency there. There may have been some love, but it wasn't a lot. It wasn't, it wasn't hot. You see, you want to stay with those that you fervently love. And that's also why it should burden you to miss being around your church people. You want to be with those that you fervently love. And I get it. There's good reasons to miss church. But we should never be happy about it. And we should never be okay with it. It should burden us. You fervently love your brothers and sisters. And it bothers you when you don't get to see them. So I wonder, is there fervency? If you were to list your love on a 1 to 10 scale. Is there fervency? And, and I would think fervency would have to land in that 7 to 10 range. That's getting fervent. But how many of us would land in the 5? The third idea we come across to describe our love for one another is deeply. Now, that's a nuance of the word earnestly here. All right? So you're not going to see the word deeply unless you have the NIV. The NIV actually translates this word here not as earnestly but as deeply. So it's a nuance of that idea here. Love one another deeply from the heart. But what that means is that there should be no shallowness to our love. We should work hard to get past talking about the weather. Talking about what we did last week, talking about the scores, talking about lunch, talking about whatever ladies talk about. <laughs> As I was thinking, what do ladies talk about? I couldn't come up with anything. Oh, they talk a lot, right? So, whatever it is that ladies do for small talk, you got to get past that. You got to get past that because here's the deal we got to truly get to know one another. You cannot deeply love somebody that you do not deeply know. And that's one of the reasons, y'all, listen to this. This is important. This is one of the reasons that we have small group Sunday schools. And that's one of the reasons that we have life groups on Sunday nights. You hear what I'm saying there? In here, look, this side probably doesn't know a lot of the folks on this side. It's just, that's the nature of it. I ain't mad about it. I wish, I, that's just how it is, right? It's a large group, probably 400 or so people here in the room right now. And so it's easy to not know people deeply that you're not right around. But that's why it's so important for us that we have Sunday schools. That's where you get eyeball to eyeball and elbow to elbow with people, and you, you really get to know people. You get to hear their voice, you get to hear their concerns, you get to hear their insights. You get to hear their life and sort of share that with one another. If you're not in Sunday school, you will never really know people deeply at this church. Next Sunday, 9 o'clock, Pastor Paul's got a place for you. All right? He has a place 
for you. But also think about this. At the end of this month, we'll wrap up our season of snack classes and we'll move into life groups. And y'all, life groups here at this church is perhaps our best kept secret. Now I say it that way, not because we don't promote it. We promote it like crazy. But some of you have not yet experienced it. You've not yet gotten to the point where you sit around with people in their house and eat together and talk over the Bible together. I love it. I love it because there's a level of depth that just happens when you're in somebody's living room or around their dinner table. And if you're here right now and you say, you know, I, I don't know that I love anybody deeply here because I don't know anybody deeply here. Life groups are about to start. Coming into March. And I, I challenge you to be a part of one. There are a bunch to choose from. There are a bunch to choose from. And Pastor Paul, again, oversees that. He can help you get connected. But we've got to work, y'all. We've got to work to be able to know other people more deeply. It takes work, but it's, it's good work, right? I mean, getting to know somebody better, it's a joy. And look, God's given us amazing people here in this church for you to do life with and to deepen your knowledge of one another. And then guess what happens? You can begin to deepen your love for them. The fourth idea I want to point you to this morning from the text that describes our love for one another is also the idea of continually. Continually. And believe it or not, this is another nuance of the word translated as earnestly in the ESV. It's the same Greek word under all of these nuances here. Deeply, fervently, earnestly. But you know what? When you look at the Bible dictionary, the Greek dictionary, the idea of continually and without cease, that's the very first definition of this Greek word. You see, love that is earnest doesn't go out. It doesn't weaken. It doesn't... It doesn't fade away. It weathers disagreements and hurts and distance. It's continual. It's continual. And Peter reminds us of this truth by quoting Isaiah 40 here in verse 24 and 25. This, this is where this comes in. He says, All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains Forever. Remember, the word of the gospel is what he's talking about. What he's talking about here, this seed. And as the seed of the gospel continually bears the fruit of love, our love should also be continual for one another. It should never run out. And that brings us to the fifth how. And that is the idea of ridding ourselves of some junk. We've got to rid ourselves. If we're going to love well, we've got to rid ourselves of some junk. And it's all listed really quickly right here in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Beloved, understand, these are love killers. You have these things in the church, and there won't be love. There'll be hurt. There'll be pain. 
There'll be pulling away and dividing. The first thing we have to rid ourselves of is malice. And I'm not going to go into depth with these because I think these are self-explanatory. Malice is just ill will for somebody. You want to see them hurt. You want to see them fail. You want to see them get passed over. Deceit is trickery, lying, not telling the truth. That's a love killer. It has no place in our church, in our fellowship. Hypocrisy. That's being disingenuous. That's, that's not being real. Right, that, that's, that's feigning, as the King James says. It's not being the real you and, 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 and living out what you claim. And then there's envy. We've got to get rid of that. Envy is jealousy. It's wanting what somebody else has. It's kind of like coveting. It's wanting what someone else has. And you want what they have so badly that you can't stand them. You're envious of them. It jades you toward them. And then finally is slander. We've got to get rid of slander. Slander saying un true things that's what slander is slander can sometimes come in the form of this impugning somebody's motives by imagining what they meant by that or by saying well this is what they're doing then, then they must want this and it's something bad beloved these things here malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy slander are these here amongst us? are there people amongst us? are there sinners amongst us? of course I don't know the depth I don't know the, the width but human beings are here and human beings struggle with these five things but if we're going to love one another we've got to get rid of them we must rid ourselves of these love killers Do you love your church? I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the programs. I'm talking about the people. Cindy Watt wrote a poem. She said, I love my church because that is where God's word is preached. A place where souls in danger with the gospel can be reached. I love my church because I can see my sister and brother. A place where we can encourage and edify one another. I love my church because it's a refuge from the evil world, a place of safety and victory over Satan's darts that are hurled. I love my church because it's where I receive instruction and grow, a place to hear the Holy Bible taught and God's will to know. I love my church because it's done so much for me, a place where I went to the altar many times on bended knee. I love my church because it's a spiritual hospital for those who are hurting, a place where God applies a comforting salver and His love reasserting. I love my church because God blesses me when I obey this command. A place to assemble with other believers the way that He planned. This is what it's about, y'all. This is what it's about. And I pray through this message and over the course of the next few weeks we grow in our understanding of what it means 
to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ at this church. And let me say this, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, you can be. And then you can be a part of this church. And so this morning, if you're a sinner who is unsaved, we would love to invite you to come join us as sinners who are saved. If you would turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, everything we've talked about can be yours. You can experience it. And I pray this morning, even this morning, you will. Here's my final prayer. May this church be a truly, biblically loving church. Let's pray together.